Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez here with you, as always. So glad to be with you as we continue our study here in the book of Acts. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, and this is podcast 125, if you've been following along. And today's title is God, God's Protection in His Punishment. So I just pray whatever you've been up to, whatever's been going on in your life, that you've been trusting God wholeheartedly, my friends. I know during this time, as I'm recording this, as we've been going through COVID, it has been trying for many people. We've known many people who've been sick, we know uh, some people feel these are just scare tactics. Uh, our religious freedoms are under attack. Uh, we see rioting in the streets. We're coming up to an election as I'm recording this. And I believe that Acts chapter 12, it's very timely as we study this text here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So I pray that as we look at this, that you would take, and even, even fast forward if this is years later uh, since COVID-19, uh, that whatever we're going through in the future uh, again, scripture is always relevant and so that it would speak to your heart as well. So I just pray that you'd be attentive. Uh, we have a lot to cover. And so I just want to dive right in. And again, as always, you can check things out at standstrongministries.org. Click on podcast. We have other articles there, my books that are available for you guys. We're coming out with a new book called Challenging Conversations that's coming out in the fall of 2020 with Baker Books, and it's a practical guide to help Christians discuss controversial topics in the church. So look forward to that. We'll have videos, challengingconversations.com.org will be the website that you can go to to dive right into this study. You could do it individually. You could do it in a small group. You could do it in your church. We're even going to be uh, equipping pastors to be able to talk about these issues about Divorce and remarriage, substance abuse, depression and mental illness, racism, politics, all sorts of things that are very relevant today, pornography, and helping the church work through these things because there's differences. One of the, the, the main uh, passage, or excuse me, one of the main chapters that, we're, that we discuss in the book that has carried a lot of um, clout, a lot of debate, a lot of discussion, a lot of research is can you be gay and Christian or can you be transgender and Christian at the same time. And so we look at those and we dive into same-sex marriage. We look at, uh, at homosexuality. We look at sexuality and we teach Christians how we look at just not just the scripture, but how we engage with people who have different views. Uh, they come from a different camp. So I encourage you guys to be um, you know, checking that out at Baker Books. You can be going to Challenging Conversations. I'll be letting you guys know when that website goes live. But the book officially comes out October 27th. And as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, we're going to be actually doing webinars uh, through Zoom and other platforms. And so we're going to be sending out information about that. So if you want to sign up and you want to li you know, live chat with me and other people who are going to be going through the book at various different times as a, a soft launch comes out in the early fall. And of course, when the book actually comes out October 27th. Um, so we'll be sending information through email blasts. If you don't get our emails, you can go to standstrongministries.org. On the homepage, you'll see where you can sign up 
to get uh, our MailChimp as well. So with all that being said, let's dive right in in Acts chapter uh, 12, beginning in verse 1 through 5. Here we see the, 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 the execution of James and the imprisonment of Peter. Now, before I read, let me just say this. Remember, Luke is flashing back to the death of James and the arrest and the deliverance of Peter. So at the close of chapter 12, we're going to see that Luke mentions two vignette, uh, vignettes, and it's very important that he's going to mention how God sustains the Jews in Jerusalem from the family that, the family that we just saw in the previous chapter, in chapter 11, verses 9, 19 through 30, and number two, protecting Peter from death so that he can still minister in Jerusalem. We see that uh, in verses 6 through 19 in a minute. So here in verses 1 through 5, it says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that he pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, notice, after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So here are a couple things that we see right off the bat, my friends, is Herod the uh, Agrippa, remember, he was son of Aristopolos. He was the grandson of Herod the Great, the brother of uh, Herodias. And you see that in Mark chapter 6, verse 17. So I know sometimes it gets confusing with these different Herods. So that's why I lay that out for us to understand the different rulers at this time. Now, after the death of Caligula, he was a close ally and a friend. Uh, Claudius became emperor and he sent Agrippa to rule over Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So Agrippa became the first king of Judea. This was in AD 41 to 44, and this was ever since the death of his grandfather. So this is the Herod uh, that we that Luke is mentioning here. Now notice it says in verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now Agrippa had James. Remember, this is the apostle and brother of John. He had him beheaded around AD 43. Now, Jesus warned his disciples that they would suffer for him. If you go back to Matthew 20, 20 through 23, Jesus forewarned them. John the Baptist was killed by Herod. So now Jesus said, remember in the upper room, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me, John 15, 18 through 21. So when Herod saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to also find Peter and he arrests him. And this was during, we're told, the unleavened bread. So the people hated Agrippa's family. So he would find ways to earn the people's affection. People still do that to this very day. Now, this is during unleavened bread. So remember, this is the spring. This was a Jewish feast that lasted for a week in conjunction with the Passover, according to Exodus chapter 12, 14 through 20. Now, when he sees him and throws him in prison, it says that it was intending after the Passover. So that's plan of action. He was taking action. So they were very strategic. 
seven days to bring him out to the people. So it was not favorable to execute people, obviously, during the Jewish holidays. So they were plotting this whole thing and pretending that uh, you know they were they they were allowing the new religion known as Christianity to flourish, but also respecting the Jews. They were making sure that they didn't do something during the Jewish Holy Week. So Agrippa waits to deal with Peter after the Jews complete their ceremonies. Now Peter was kept in prison, but notice as he was in prison, there was earnest in the Greek that means an unceasing activity, a prayer for him was made to God by the church. So Luke gives insight, and I love this, about the church, that the church is praying. Now remember, they had the Jewish scriptures. They had no letters. They had little creeds that were circulating, some teachings. Remember at this point, we don't have Paul the apostle yet. You know, he's not, you know, providing a lot of this insight that he tells us that he gets from the revelation of Christ in Ephesians chapter three. So, at this point, they're praying fervently and they're praying for God's protection for Peter. Now, remember, God had protected them time and time again. You go Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. Yes, Stephen was killed, but the gospel spreading from Acts chapter 7. You see that in Acts chapter 8, God raises up Philip and God's using him in mighty ways. God's using Peter. So the word was getting out and so Herod knew this. And so you take out, uh, in this case, he, he has to take out James. And so now he's thinking, okay, I have to find a way to, to take out uh, Peter now. And so here, when we see that uh, Peter was, 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 was in prison and the church is praying, yes, they're not delivered from all of the persecution. James was just killed. They're not saving, you know, God's not delivering everybody who's being imprisoned. And so you oftentimes wonder why on earth, you know, were they praying for James to be freed and yet he dies and then they're praying for Peter and then yet we're going to see in a minute in verses six through 19, he's delivered. See, these are things that my friends, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why James was beheaded and yet Peter was freed other than what we know in history of how God used Peter and the significance that he had. Doesn't mean that Peter was more loved by Jesus than James was. That's not the point here because we know God doesn't show any favorites. We saw that in Acts chapter 10. So let's just continue as we see what transpires now as Peter has been arrested in verses 6 through 17. An angel will free Peter from from prison. So now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And centuries before the door were guarding the prison and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And it says, and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Now, when you go back and see in verse seven and it says, and behold, an angel says, suddenly an angel of the Lord stood. And when it struck Peter in the Greek, it, it, it was a forceful blow. Now, we don't know to the condition that Peter was in, if he had been beaten, if he was exhausted and extremely, extremely tired because of of what was going on. But the the angel had to hit him with force and said to him, dress yourself and put your sandals on. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what what was actually going on. Uh, that was being done, it says here, by the angel and that it was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, remember, Peter had 
receive that vision that we talked about in Acts chapter 10. He talks about, he tells Cornelius in Acts chapter 11. So maybe this is what was happening as well. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and he opened for them of its, of its one accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. Now, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And then in verse 12, it says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice and her joy. She did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is, his, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. All right, so there is a lot here. We see that, number one, that Herod has doubled the guards to ensure Peter's followers didn't try to free him or, or anything miraculous were, were to happen. And I love this because man can try to take measures to prevent God from doing certain things like they try to do with the, the tomb of Jesus. But the angels come. They imprison Peter. They kill James, and Herod's getting very prideful. He's thinking he's honoring the Jews. He's doing great things to be honored and to be recognized. And yet, no matter what they try to do, an angel's going to come and miraculously set Peter free. And you see, you go back to Acts chapter 5, 17 through 26, how they were freed to beginning. So this is all, all of this is, is, is in remembrance. They know these things. They see these miracles that are taking place and they can't explain it. And so when this angel comes, the guards were either placed um, there and they were, they were in a deep sleep themselves. And, you know, so either um, the, the angel, you know, put them to sleep, you know, because we know that guards couldn't be, you know, they couldn't just fall asleep on the job. They're there to guard it, to protect, because if they failed, then they would receive the same punishment. So here we see, however, that at some point, either they're blinded, they're oblivious, they're put into deep sleep, or, or, or perhaps, and I can't explain this completely, but I do believe it occurs, obviously, that maybe... There was a spiritual dimension that takes place. Kind of if you remember seeing Lord of the Rings and, you know, when Frodo put the, the ring on and he's transported into this more or less spiritual realm that he can see things beyond what people can see. So he's there presently, but it, he's almost invisible and they can't see him. Maybe that's what happened. And so Peter's escape was unnoticeable to them. We don't know, but Peter was able to keep his clothes uh, in prison and uses outer garment as a blanket to flee the scene. Now, if you notice that the conditions in prison, they may have caused Peter uh, to be delirious, as I was mentioning earlier. Uh, but at some point, he comes to his senses after he's led out into the streets. And it's not certain, though, if Peter was in prison in the Antonio Fortress that was located at the northwest corner of the temple. We don't know. But he got his bearings, and he was able to find his way um, to go um, to... Um, 
Mary, who is the aunt of Barnabas, and John Mark, his cousin, according to Colossians 4, verse 10. Now, this is Peter's second miracle, remember, that he's being rescued by an angel that was sent from God, as I mentioned, in Acts chapter 5, 17 through 26. And so we here we see another miracle. And when he realized this, now by, we see this in, in verse 12, he goes to the house of Mary. Now, as I mentioned, this is the aunt of Barnabas. Uh, John Mark is the cousin. And this house seems to be large enough to accommodate a gathering of people who are praying and interceding. And he has a servant here. And, and so, and it also mentions this outer gate. So this indicates that Mary, she lived in an upper part of Jerusalem. So she was very wealthy, very prominent. And so when Peter comes to the house, it was a recognizable house. So he knew it well when he got to, you know, when his senses came to him. And a servant girl named Rhoda or Rose came to answer. Now she recognized it was Peter, but she knows that he's in prison. So she's not a, she's, she, she doesn't automatically assume that this is in fact Peter. Now, Peter's extraordinary deliverance from the hand of Agrippa is a shock to everyone. But it's a reminder, my friends, just like with Rhoda the servant, when she was so overjoyed that God had answered their prayer, that Peter was in fact safe, she literally loses her wits. She was so blown away. How many times do you think in our lives when you're praying for something fervently and you're asking for God's guidance and for God to respond and you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking and you're pleading and you're making petition and you're, you fast from food, from TV, from whatever until you hear from God, until God responds and gives you a yes or a no or continue to wait and I will show up. Trust me, my child. But when it does come to pass, I mean, I look through my prayer journals and I'm blown away of, of just the, the concern I had in so many things and I was struggling and God comes through and just blew my mind. We read it here in the book of Acts with Peter and we think, well, he was an apostle. These are extraordinary times as the early church was expanding. But does God really do that today? Does God really care about my prayers you know, I don't really have anything fascinating or extraordinary like this happening in my life, Jason. But the reality is, my friends, yes, it does happen. And it happens to people who have faith. And there are times when God has granted me something. God has protected me because of the prayers of the people. So here the church was intensely praying for Peter's deliverance in verse 5. And yet upon his, his, his arrival, they're shocked. So there are times when we're praying, yes, we're praying in faith, and then God shows up in a mighty way, and it just, it blows our minds. We're thinking, are you serious? Is this really happening? And, and, and then just like with Peter, when the angel has to force him out of the prison, and he comes to and realizes this isn't a dream, this isn't a vision, this is, real, this is really happening, even though it happened to him previously a few years ago in Acts chapter 5. But just like with the church, when God does answer, we're a little delirious. We're like, wait. Are, are you sure? Is this really going on? Is this really happening? Did God really answer my prayer? And the answer is yes. So I know, my friends, we're going to be shocked. Okay? But I think when it comes down to it, as we look at this story right here, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. Now, the, this James here, this is, remember, this is the half-brother of Jesus in Galatians 1, verse 19. And we are told in chapter 15, verse 13, that James, Jesus's half-brother, was a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. And so it was important that you can see why Peter was like, hey, let him know. So then you see in verses 18 through 19, Herod Agrippa can't explain how Peter escapes once again from prison. 
It says here now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So here we see that the guards are mentally and they're physically agitated and they knew what awaited them once Agrippa investigated as to what happened again. I thought I took measures to protect this from happening as it happened the first time I heard with Peter and now he's escaped again. So of course, Herod's only explanation for Peter's escape was the collusion of the Roman guards. That's more or less implied here. Now, this was according to Justin, uh, Justinian's code where guards would receive the same punishment of their, of their prisoner if they, in fact, escaped. So that tells us that Herod's plans for Peter was to kill him like he did James. And yet, of course, God knows that and he answers the prayer of the people and he saves him. And now we see what happens to Herod now. Here he wanted to judge Peter, but guess what? Herod Agrippa is going to be judged by God in verses 20 through 23, where it says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. This is the commercial ports uh, in the Mediterranean. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended, depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. But then we're told in verse 23 here, immediately, immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod Agrippa down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. So out of spite for the Hellenists, Herod cuts off the supplies to Tyre and Sidon to make the people suffer. This man's out of control. Tyre and Sidon were prominent cities in the region of Phoenicia, and they were under the authority of the Roman governor of Syria. Now, Blastus, this is the king's treasurer. So these are attempts, again, that Herod is doing. He's so furious over certain things that he turns and he starts killing off more people and he is not leading appropriately. So what does he do in the midst of all this? He just continues to glorify himself. Now here uh, we're told in verse 21 it says on an appointed day, Herod would often speak uh, as you look at history in the massive theater in Caesarea. Matter of fact, Josephus describes Herod dressed in a brilliant silver robe. Now, or excuse me, silver robe. So it, it's debated as to whether this is the actual event that Luke is describing. Um, but the point is, is that Herod, this was customary for Herod. This was a way for him to lavish not just his wealth, but his power. And he would deliver these long orations to his people. And so we're told here in verse 22 that they're shouting to him the voice of a God and not of a man. Now remember, he's a dictator. What he was just doing. Look at the people he's killed off to be here. Now, Emperor Caligula, remember, was declaring himself a divine being to Rome. Therefore, guess what? King Agrippa assumes the same, and he receives the people's declaration that, no, he himself is God. Now, was Herod saying there's only one true God, and I'm, I, I'm it, and not Emperor Caligula, who is, again, a, a confidant, a friend? 
We don't know. But obviously in that culture with polytheism, they believed in many gods and they would embrace that with the cultures that they in, that they would conquer and then embrace. So but ironically now, hundreds of years ago though, the king of Tyre declared himself God and received a prophetic warning of his demise if you go to the book of Ezekiel where the prophet said, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man. And no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. That's in chapter 28. Furthermore, when you see in Ezekiel 28, it, it, it has a furthermore deeper meaning that describes the fall of Lucifer. I believe this is all connected. The point is whether it has to do with the future of the Antichrist declaring himself to be God or looking at Antiochus Epiphanes in the book of Daniel or what Ezekiel's talking about here in reference to the fall of Lucifer, who we know to be Satan. This is what Herod is doing. There's one God. And yet these men in these, these prominent positions are declaring themselves to be, to be God. And what happens? Notice an angel of the Lord strikes him. Now Josephus records Herod spent the next five days with horrible stomach pain before he died. And we're told here by Luke he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. So he was in sudden death that came upon him. Sudden death came upon him and deteriorated him rapidly, exposing to the people that he is not who he says he is. And it's a reminder to Herod with divine judgment that there is only but one true God and you are not deserving. No one's deserving of worship. And what do we see out of this? We see the gospel spread. Isn't that amazing? Despite the, the attempts to kill Peter, James is dead now, obviously, and sad. Stephen's been martyred. But we're told in verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, who, whose other name was Mark. So in this last final thing, my friends, in Acts chapter 12, despite the famine, despite the persecution, the gospel continues to spread and the church continues to grow stronger. Even what we're faced with right now, as I was saying in, in the beginning of the podcast, despite the circumstances and things that are happening, God is moving. God is expanding his church. Yes, our religious freedoms are under attack. Yes, there are Christians who are becoming more woke now than ever before and bowing to movements and causes and ideological positions are holding and embracing and they're trying to justify it to be uh, in Jesus' name and it isn't. Yes, there are people who are being murdered in the streets because they have a particular worldview that runs contrary to the cancel culture. But guess what? Despite famine that happens, economic crisis, looting in the streets, despite the persecution or prosecution that many people are facing in America because they're Christian, the gospel will continue to spread, not because of the institution of the church like local churches and buildings, but because of people like you and me who are dwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit and who in the authority of Jesus' name we go make disciples. Now notice in verse 25, Barnabas and Saul, they return from Jerusalem. 
They've completed their service. So God is still raising up an army of people. We know that this is just the beginning of Saul. And they have John Mark with him. Remember the cousin? That's where Peter went to the house, his aunt's house, Mary. So some believe that Mark is the man who fled naked. Remember the night of Jesus, uh, the, the night that Jesus was betrayed. If you go back to Mark 14, 51 through 52, I tend to believe that's the case. Now, Mark would later write, remember the first account of Jesus. We're told here that he, he was with uh, Paul uh, at this point. Of course, he's re- referred to as Saul. He's with Barnabas, his, his older cousin. Um, he will start traveling with Barnabas and Paul on the first leg of their first missionary journey we're going to see um, in the next few chapters in chapter 15. But the important thing, my friends, is that there are some people that God raises up and then their, their time is up and God uh, takes them home. And there's others who get to live longer and do more work. The point is, is that God has appointed us each a time to live and a time to die. And in the process, what he does is he gives you and I spiritual gifts. He gives us the power to do the work if we trust him. And so right now, if there's things in your life, if there's a Christian person or a particular missionary person who is under attack, will you pray and intercede for them just like we see the house of Mary doing for Peter? Will you pray that God would deliver them and protect them? And also like we see in the midst of of the conflict that was arising with Herod Agrippa, Wherever you live, my friends, however you access this podcast, I know in some parts of the country, we, when we look at the, the ratings and the stats, we see that there are people in the Middle East that are accessing this podcast. And so if you're one of them listening, Lord bless you. He is giving you a direct line of communication to speak his word to your life. Some of you don't have the Bible written down and you're listening to this podcast. And as I read it to you, that's why I take time to read verse by verse, to to let the spoken word impact the lives of people. But my friends, wherever you're listening to this, whatever is going on in your government, uh, politically, if you don't have a democracy and there's a dictatorship, be reminded as we see that people like Herod Agrippa, they they can think that they can put an end to the work of God and declare themselves to be God when you and I, in fact, know that that's blasphemy, it's false. But guess what? God is bigger, far greater and more powerful. He is infinite in his wisdom and in his power is he is omnipotent. And so he is worthy of worship. And so I pray that you will be encouraged despite what you see on the news, despite what you see maybe it's happening in your community, in your city, in your state, in your country. God is moving and God is raising up an army. And that's why you and I spend this time together so that we can stand strong in God's word and do the work that he's called us to do. So I pray that today this podcast has been an encouragement to you, that you would continue to pray fervently for God to perform miracles in your life. And then when he shows up and he answers, that you're not to be surprised. And you just look to him and say, God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you for guiding me. So my friends, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Whatever platform you get, uh, you know, this podcast on. I appreciate your guys' support. As always, you can go to YouTube, check out other videos. We also film this podcast now and we're making that available. If you go to Jason P. Jimenez, my YouTube channel, always go to our website to get more information. And if you want to drop us a note, an email, if you have a question, you can go to info at org and send that to me. 
And if you want to give a donation, you can go to standstrongministries.org and you can click on the donate button. And we appreciate any amount of money you would like to support this ministry so we continue to do the work that God has called us to do. So my friends, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.